Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm really delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today. Someone I've, um, again, someone I've been wanting to have on the show for a long time. Seems to be that way with a lot of my guests. But um, yeah, um, welcome Joe Lumen to the show. Thank you. I am excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me, James. Um, yeah, no, um, I'm really honoured that you've uh, chosen to come on. Um, uh, and Joe does a lot of um, anti-racism and work on deconstruct talks about deconstruction a lot and colonialism and all that kind of thing. So we're going to be talking about a lot of that today, uh, and I'm excited to talk about it. So um, yeah, just tell us a bit of your story, Joe. Uh, well, I am a Colombian born and raised pastor, um, and I, you know, I was in Colombia until I graduated college, and then I moved to the U.S. to do an internship at a church, and to get my master's degree here, too, in, in ministry and theology, and um, in the process of doing those things, I ended up meeting a group of people that were going to move to San Diego, California, to start um start a church here so I decided that I was going to move here with them because my internship was a two-year program so the intent actually was to after the first year I really just wanted to go home I I didn't love like the U.S. all that much so but then they were going to start the church and I said okay maybe I can move with them uh and help for the first maybe one one more year or two years um and then in the process of doing that, I met my husband and married him, and I have been here for 14 years now. <laughs> mm. So um, it was, and we were involved in this church for 10 um, years, and we both, my husband's a pastor too, and we both worked there, and um, you know what, we were absolutely immersed in this. Like, it wasn't just our job, it was everything. It was our life, mm. our job, our family, um, everything. But but we had questions, a lot of questions, especially me. I had questions. Mm. And I was really uncomfortable with a lot of things. And the more discomfort I felt, the more questions I raised, the more that it became evidence that I couldn't stay in the church. Um, I, it, the questions just were not welcomed. My behavior was not welcomed. Mm. Um, so we decided to leave. And we left. And that led to ostracizing. And, you know, what happens with most people that leave churches, sadly. Mm, um, yeah. So we, we we now have no support, no community, nothing. Um, and I had now babies. I had, I, had two, I had two kids and I was pregnant at the time with my third. And we left and then we started visiting churches. And I started to recognize the same patterns and the same behaviors in every possible church. I mean, I had already seen them from the churches that I had come from, including yeah. the churches in Colombia. But it became more and more evident that this was not a problem of the churches that I was, in, like, I was, I had been involved in. This was a systemic problem. The, um, mm. the church being used as a system of oppression, the, the silencing, the, you know, yeah. All of these things that we find in the church, which are just so ugly. Um, this was a systemic problem. And I I made a commitment. I had seen so many pastors leave churches, be harmed at churches, leave and start their own churches to just became, become oppressors themselves. Yeah. That I said, I don't want to do that. And to not do that, it means I need to heal. And what does that look like? And to heal, it means I have to be willing to lose my religion, to lose my faith, to lose my marriage to whatever it is that I need to lose to be yeah. able to be 
whole and healed, I am willing to step into that space. Yeah. So I started doing a lot of healing work and trauma work and started, you know, doing decolonizing work, which is healing work. Yeah. And uh, in all of that, I ended up separating from my husband for some time and uh, we didn't know if we were going to make it. He was holding on to religion a little bit more tightly than me, uh, mm. which was fine. I didn't want to not make him hold on to it, but... I also didn't want to have to hold on to it. You know, I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to, to betray mm-hmm. myself any longer. Christianity had taught me to betray myself for so long. I was done with that. So we separated for a season, then we're back together. Um, and I thought I was going to lose religion altogether. And I found an expression of my faith that isn't harmful and instead has helped me heal. Um, and I love that. So that's in a nutshell, kind of. That's yeah, that's a powerful story, and I'm sure there's a lot, of, a lot more behind that. Um, and it's it's wonderful that you managed to find a healthy expression, as well. Of, right. Um, because that that's the thing, you know. That was, I mean, I had a lot of. There's a lot of echoes of my own story of kind of leaving the church um, when I heard your story because I had that problem of I didn't realise how much it was going on. The, the trauma and the abuse uh, in the church until I left and how much it was affecting right. me physically and emotionally until I left yeah. and I found another spiritual community where it was completely the opposite it wasn't it wasn't really church as I call it it was just a community of people um, very small quiet you know come as you are space contemplative yeah. and so I yeah uh, and when you find that that's a really a really good thing yeah absolutely we started um, a non-profit, it's yeah. called The Living Room, and it's literally that, it's our living room. And the, the goal is to reclaim our living rooms as safe spaces yeah. uh, for people to connect to divinity and to community. Um, but there is no proselytizing, there is no expectations, it's just safe, you know? It's, it's, it's our living room. People get to kick back and take mm. off their shoes and exist. Um, and I and I couldn't find that in church buildings. I couldn't find that. I I still cannot find that with most Christians, unfortunately. Mm, yeah, that's. I I completely resonate. I do. I I completely empathise with that because. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I my dad still goes to the church that I that I that I used to go to, and I, I can't go back there because. Yeah. Even though there's some plenty of people there who are good people that I know and I'm still in touch with, but generally I haven't heard from almost anybody there. And I know that if I walked back into that place, there would be a physical reaction for me, not just a not just an emotional one. It would be a physical response. I I know that yes. I would probably have to leave. You know, yeah. uh, because it's because it's it's a legitimate trauma, uh, and people yeah. don't realise actually. And you don't, it's almost like Stockholm Syndrome. You don't realize you're in it until you come out of it. Um, Absolutely. Because we can't heal inside of the same space that harmed us. Yeah. You know, because you can't, you can't even see it. Um, and, and it is the same for me. I, most of the time, the last, the last time I was in a church building, um, I had such a visceral and a scary panic attack, like a, an mm. actual anxiety attack. I couldn't breathe. Uh, they were singing a song and then the pastor got up and said something that was so deeply 
abusive and harmful, and he probably thought it was absolutely harmless, um, and most people did too. Nobody thought there was a problem with it, but but I, when I heard it, I, I, I couldn't. I felt like I couldn't breathe, and I had to get mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And I got in my car, left the building. I had to leave, physically leave the building, uh, because I just, I couldn't. I, I felt like I was drowning. And I, I called my husband and I said, let me know when you're done, like when it's over and you're ready for me to come back. And he was with the kids. And I, when he got in the car, I said, this, I will never again walk into a church. And it just doesn't feel safe. Hmm. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have to put myself in a space where I don't feel safe. I don't have to. No. But definitely not to find divinity, by the way. Yeah, because you don't need a church building to find the divine. Absolutely. You no. can find the divine anywhere. You look for him or her. You know, because um, God's genderless to me. Um, I use both interchangeably. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, yeah, you, you've been talking. You know, one of the things that that I think that you talk about a lot in your work that is is so important to anyone who's doing a deconstruction is to um, decolonialize and and kind of confront um, anti-racism. Um, and this is something that I didn't realize until about a year ago. You know, that was part of the deconstruction journey. Uh, and then it started happening to me and I started having my eyes open to it and it changed everything. And now it's like, oh, right, this, I have to unlearn this as well. And actually, this is part of the same thing. This is all connected, you know, because that oppressive mm-hmm. system that was we're talking about with the church is part of that system that's doing the, you know, doing the colonisation and doing the oppressive racism, you know, um... Yeah. So t- um, talk, tell us a bit about that and how you discovered that. Yeah. Um, I So part of my journey of healing um, was, you know, doing trauma work. And, and I started doing a lot of trauma work, and I recognized that a lot of my trauma was tied to racial trauma. Mm. And part of that, and one of the earliest memories of having questions inside of the church comes from me as a young teenager, teenager and asking we all my indigenous ancestors, so my ancestors are indigenous people from Colombia, not mm-hmm. all of my ancestors, but some of my ancestors are indigenous people from Colombia called the Muisca people. Yeah. Chicha people, the the um the El Dorado. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've heard the the legend of El Dorado, but uh, you know, that's where my people are yeah. from. And so I remember thinking very young, I wonder if they are they'll be in heaven, you know, because I was told that to be in heaven you need to know Jesus of the Bible and say yes to Jesus of the Bible. Well, these people didn't know anything about this Jesus um, until 1,500 years after he died. So I remember thinking and I remember asking, like, so will my ancestors be in heaven? And I remember a teacher telling me, well, um, you know, God is bigger than the Bible. God can be found in nature. So we don't know, you know. If God maybe revealed Himself, obviously Himself, because I I put asterisks around um, the gender of God too. Um, we don't know if God revealed Himself to Indigenous people through nature. And I then I said, okay, then why do we proselytize? Like, why do we have to tell people about God if God can be revealed through nature? And wouldn't that revelation be actually better? And they go, well, no, because then if you actually proselytize, you guarantee that people know God. And it just all sounded like bullshit to me, to be honest. But I was too mm. young to articulate that. 
Yeah. And I have been indoctrinated very well into just accepting my authority's voice over my own. Um, so I betrayed myself and I told myself, yeah, well, that's probably true. Uh, and, and, you know, but the, the narrative was still there. Indigenous people were probably not going to be in heaven. And mm. all of my indigenous ancestors were probably not going to be found there. However, the colonizers that raped and pillaged and murdered would be there. Mm. And, and, and recognizing that and realizing that as I was healing um, from my racial trauma, I, I realized, oh my gosh, this is all so deeply tied to Christianity. A lot of my racial trauma is tied to the way in which Christian narratives were given to me. Um, so I started digging into the history of Christianity and white supremacy. And it goes back and it goes deep, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I, I share this recently with some, with some of my patrons about it's, um, the notion of race, the idea, the construct, the social construct of race, because race is not a biological reality, it's a, it's a sociological construct, um, was in part created by the church to be able to dehumanize black and indigenous people to excuse the things that were being done to them. So mm -hmm. the, the narrative essentially was, you don't have a soul uh, unless you're a Christian. And if you don't have a soul, you're not fully human. Therefore, anything we do to you is fine because you're not human completely until you become a Christian. Then when they became Christians, uh, and they became, uh, 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 and listen to this, it's becoming Christian out of, coercion and fear. It's not becoming Christian because this is something that is being, you know, that you're being drawn to or because it serves you or because it helps you in your healing and journey of wholeness. It's because you're petrified they're going to murder you. So mm. after they became Christians, then the notion of race started being created as, oh no, actually there are some pseudo-scientific things that we can see. Your heads are built differently than our heads and, you know, you're, you're just inferior. But if we dig back enough the notion of race, therefore the notion of racism and the notion of white supremacy can be traced back to the church, both the Protestant church and the Catholic church. Yeah. And so the more the more I dug, I mean, I mean, if you look at patriarchy, I don't think I have to explain how patriarchy is deeply tied to Christianity. Absolutely, And patriarchy yeah. is this idea that men are superior yeah. and women are inferior. Uh, and women and non-binary people are inferior. Everybody that's not a man is inferior. So I start digging and digging. I realize, oh my gosh, everything I've believed in, because my identity was so deeply tied to Christianity, um, upholds and supports the oppressive systems that we're dealing with in the world today. And it has for a long time. Because Christianity has been used as a weapon of oppression in general since mm. 70 AD, when they started putting a Bible together and saying, we're going to use this Bible to tell people what to believe and how to believe and and we're going to use it as a weapon of the empire, the Roman Empire. Now, it, that evolved into white supremacy in the 16th century. Um, you know, so it, it hasn't always been white supremacy, but it evolved into becoming a weapon of white supremacy. Uh, but it's been a weapon of oppressive systems from almost the get-go. And it opposes mm. everything that Jesus even talked about, which was, you have to dismantle white supremacy. Uh, I'm sorry, you have to dismantle systems of oppression. You have to stop being the oppressor. Um, you know, and he was yeah. speaking specifically to Jewish people. He wasn't speaking to everybody because he understood his lane. You know, I am a Jew. I know about Jewish culture, so let me speak to Jewish people. Mm. Jewish people, the way that you're practicing your faith is not it. You're harming people. 
So I follow Jesus' steps and do the same thing. I don't speak to anybody but Christians. And I say, Christians, the way that you're practicing your religion uh, is deeply harmful, deeply harmful, especially to black indigenous people of color because you stripped everything from us in the name of God. Um, and so that's why I started my work of colonizing. So I, I didn't want to be a pastor anymore. Um, but then I found this you know, intertwined relationship between white supremacy and Christianity. And I thought, if I ever have to be a pastor, it's a responsible, ethical, um, the responsible, ethical thing to do for me is to be the pastor that is calling out white supremacy and calling out her peers um, in saying what the way in which you are practicing your faith is in itself white supremacy and you're doing a lot of harm, and I won't stand for it. You cannot say that you weren't told. I'm here to tell you. I'm here to flip the tables and make the whips and let you know this is not okay. Mm. It's, not, it's not tolerated, and I won't tolerate it. Um, so that's how my work ended up becoming the work that I do now. It's not fun work always, but it's kind of fun, too. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And that, yeah, and that basically is the journey that a lot of us have to, especially white people, have to go on. Um, yeah that we have to do that work that you've done. Because um, if, if yeah. white supremacy was in me, and I'm a woman of color with indigenous ancestors, how much more is it in you? That has, yeah. you know, in, in you I mean white people, yeah. because you have been privileged by this system over me, and yeah. still I upheld it, and still it was inside of me, and still I have to dismantle it. Some Like there are things that pop up every day, and I'm like, ah, insidious. You know, in every yeah. corner, in every crevice, and, and recognizing it and healing, um, which is now what I call the work of the gospel. I think the work of the gospel is simply dismantling white, dismantling systems of oppression, namely right now white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism from our society. Um, that That's what I call the work of the gospel now. The good news that we don't have to live this way. This doesn't yeah. have to be the way. There yeah. is another way. Um, you know, we don't have to be oppressed. We don't have to suffer. And by we, I mean all of us, because we are not okay until we are all okay. Uh, and that yes. doesn't mean I need everybody to become a Christian. I just need to dismantle white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism from the world. And people get to have their own faith journeys um, and, and, and go wherever they need to go once they've been healed from these systems of oppression or once they've not been crushed. That's what it feels like, really. Yeah, being crushed by these systems of oppression. Yeah, and these, yeah, and you see it. You see it everywhere. Um, you know, every, all of the, all of these, all of the, you know, patriarchy, homophobia, racism. Mm -hmm. You know, all of it. It's all the, from the same place. It's all part of the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Even in the little things, I, I, I read something today, and somebody was making fun of another person because of their poop. And I was telling right. them, like, I know I sound like a broken record, you know, because I, I tie everything to white supremacy. But the, the, the way that we view our bodies, the way that we view our bodily functions as something to hide, as something that's bad, we don't talk about poop like it's normal, we don't talk about sweat like it's normal, we don't talk about hair, body hair like it's normal, that is all white supremacy because our bodies ought to be perfect. But they aren't, they are just bodies. And so... Mm -hmm everything is really tied to this notion of we have to look superior, we have to look better, and it all comes down to deep trauma and deep insecurities 
that we all have had. White supremacy didn't exist because people wanted to be superior. White supremacy came about because people were deeply traumatized and had deep insecurities that they needed to make up for. So they created a system where they were superior uh, instead of dealing with the trauma and realizing you don't have to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, that's so true. I say that so often on this show that, you know, the only way that we grow is by actually naming, confronting our trauma, our pain, our weak spots, and actually facing it. Um, yeah. That's the only way you go if you, like, and religious certainty uh, is a way to hide from the pain. It is not a way to deal with the pain. Um, and, you know, when I was kind of stuck in religious certainty, I wasn't dealing with my pain. Uh, and when right. I started to face it, things got worse before they got better, but they did start to get better and I was actually free, um, you know, rather than having my pain control me all the time. And yeah, because if you don't do, deal with pain, it can take you to some very dark places and cause a lot of pain to other people, you know, which has happened yeah. in this case. I, I tell people often that Christianity um, has become a coping mechanism for people. Yeah. Yeah. A way to not deal with your pain, hmm. but cope with it. It's just that it's a high-level coping mechanism, an acceptable, socially acceptable coping mechanism. Hmm. So people have low-level coping mechanisms, namely addictions or whatever you want to call it. Um, and they say, you just need Jesus. And so they become Christians and they become high-level coping mechanism, you know, people. And so people are like, see, Christianity is good for you because you may not be an addict to drugs anymore, but now you are an addict to this thing, this, yes. you know, this religion. Yes, um, But so you're true. still an addict. You haven't dealt with the pain. You are still coping, and coping is not healing. And people who are coping harm other people because they aren't healed people. Yeah, absolutely so right. It seems like Christianity helps you, but it doesn't. It just moves you from one coping mechanism to the next. Yeah. And, and look, coping mechanisms serve us because sometimes we're not ready to deal with the pain and that's the way that we're handling our trauma. But we have to move past coping. We have to. Christianity doesn't make... The way Christianity is set up right now doesn't make room for that because the end-all, be-all is Christianity. So there, if you're a Christian, you're healed. You're good. You said Jesus three times. It's done. But yeah. you're not healed, so you have to do the work. And if healing leads you away from Christianity, it's good, and it's healthy, and it's fine, and you can walk out, absolutely. Yeah. But Christianity doesn't make room for that, therefore it's not safe. Yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. I mean, I, I've lost count of the number of stories of, um, I've been an alcoholic, then I found Jesus, now I'm okay, now I'm, now I'm married with three kids, and I'm a pastor, or whatever, you know? There's, like, right. you could literally write a fictional version of that, and you would, it would sound true because I've yeah. heard that so many times and it's just and every time I heard it I was like yeah but you haven't actually dealt with your problems you've just no. shifted them like you talked about it's just yeah. it's and when once you see it you can't unsee it it's like it, it becomes really obvious once you once you yeah. actually understand it yeah and that's it that's that's why I say and people really have a hard time when I say this but Christianity keeps you immature yes because immature people don't deal with their pain Mm. immature people are waiting for a hero to save them yeah. that's, that's their version of Jesus he'll come and he'll fix it all you just go to church, everything will be fixed mature people know it's on me 
oh my god, I gotta do this work. Mature people lean into pain. Mature people know what what emotions are for. Mature people are able to name their emotions and to say, what is this emotion telling me about what's going on within me? And what does that look? What does it mean to lean into that emotion so that I can feel whatever it is to feel? Um, immature people push emotions down and rush to joy and gratefulness, fake positivity, toxic positivity. Um, so Christianity encourages people to stay immature. And yeah. immature people are easily manipulated. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and it's really sad, actually, for people who don't know that they're being manipulated, and they don't know no. that they're being, they don't know that they're not really like healing, um, because they think that they are, and you can't tell people either. You, they have to, they have to figure it out for themselves. Otherwise, they won't be convinced of it. And that, and of course, that's really painful. That, you know, when you actually discover it for yourself um, but yeah. it's the only way that it can happen because otherwise you're just you're yeah. just coercing them into, into doing something else so they're not there's no genuine if you're coercing somebody to do it they're not it's not genuine change so they have to yeah. find it by themselves yeah you have to get to a place where the pain is unbearable almost where you're like I don't want to feel this pain anymore I have to do something about it mm. you know for some some people don't need that but for some people that are deeply, deeply tied to this identity, you have to get to, look, this pain is real, and I don't want to deal with it anymore. Like, I don't want to keep coping with it anymore, you know? That's what mm -hmm. had to happen for me, where it was just unbearable. I, I couldn't keep pretending my life was good just because I was a Christian. I could, and I mm -hmm. didn't have a bad life, but I, but I was miserable inside. I was. You know, I was I was pretending to have a good life. I was pretending that I was a good pastor with a good husband and the good kids and the house. And and inside, I was like, I am still as insecure as you know, thirteen year old me. Mm. It just looks different. My the the way in which that was coming out was different. But I hadn't healed. I hadn't. You know, I I tell people the story. My mom. Um, most really his like Latinx parents are very um, strict, especially mm. moms, very strict, you know, and this is, is trauma too, um, colonial trauma from if our kids behave well, then the colonizers won't harm them. So mm. we teach them to just behave at, at all costs so that they won't be harmed, so that they'll behave for whiteness, uh, so that they'll fit in and then won't be hurt. So she was very strict. Uh, because her parents were very strict with her. This is this generational trauma. And um, I learned to behave and I learned to listen and I learned to um, do, like, you know, say yes, ma'am and quiet my own self. There was no room for no in my life. It was yes, ma'am, always. And I was, like, so afraid of my mother, so afraid. And she didn't have the tools to raise me any other way. These were the tools that were given to her. And we've talked about this and we've healed and it's been beautiful, but... Um, she didn't have the tools. So what happens from there is that I decide I'm going to move to the States to do this internship. And, and deep down, I didn't know that at the time. This was a subconscious decision, not a conscious decision. Mm. I don't know how to set boundaries with my mother. So I'm going to move 3,000 miles away. Mm. I just don't want to deal with her anymore. I don't, I don't want to deal with her abuse anymore. But because I haven't healed, what do I do? I found an abusive pastor <laughs> to put myself yeah. under him. 
and this is called trauma bonding. Yeah. Um, because that's where I feel safe because I haven't healed. So I only feel safe in the same type of relationships that I've always been in. Relationships where I'm abused, relationships where I'm told you can't say no, relationships where my, my voice is silenced, where um, I have to prove my worth by doing a lot of things. Yeah. So I don't heal. I just change from abuser to abuser. But the difference now is that my mom adores me. My pastor didn't. So the abuse just got worse. You know? Mm. And I could, I could see the pattern once I walked out. I said, this is exactly what happened. And if I don't heal, I'm just going to find a new abuser. And for many people, that's their, their partner. Uh, for many people, that just, you know, it turns into somebody in, in your life. Um, so if we don't heal, we just find a way to be oppressed again and again and again. And that's the work of decolonizing. The work of decolonizing is freeing ourselves from all the trauma. You know, decolonizing is freeing ourselves from the trauma of white supremacy and the trauma of patriarchy and the trauma of capitalism, because it was the trauma of white supremacy that caused my mom to, to traumatize me. Mm. And I had to heal and realize I don't have anything to prove to anybody. Um, I am, my worth is not in how I behave or whether I um, cozy up to whiteness or none of that. My worth is not on that. My worth is not in my marriage. My worth is not in my faith. My worth is intrinsic. Uh, I belong to myself, you know, in, in this belonging to yourself. That's the work of decolonizing. It's the work of unearthing the, the, your true self, which I call the Christ now. Yeah. But other, you know, other people call it the true self or the higher self, the aware uh, consciousness. Yeah. There's room for all of it. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's yeah, that, I, yeah, that resonates so much. It's uh, so true. The, the that, that finding that connection with your your truest self, your deepest self, your um, what you call the Christ consciousness in in you. Yeah, and it's so true that we can follow. Although we can we can fall into other abusive patterns if we haven't dealt with our pain. That yeah. is, it's, it is really true. You. And I've noticed this in myself as I've become more self-aware that the, the, of the patterns that I'd that I followed in the past, um, you know, and working with a therapist and a spiritual director and people like that has helped me to understand that. And it is really easy to fall into those patterns because we because they're almost normal for us. They're you know they're kind of mm-hmm. even though they're not safe, they're they're comfortable. They're what's familiar. So yeah. And it's easy to go back to what's familiar, even if it's even if it even if it's bad. It's very tempting right. to go back to it, and we need to kind of break yeah. that cycle. And the only way you do that is by is by confronting the pain and the trauma yeah. and dealing with it. Because what's familiar used to be safe. Hmm. You know, it, it was stuff we used to be safe when we were in danger, but that doesn't mean it's safe anymore. It's harming us. Hmm. You know, and so. Like, I've seen people that get harmed by something, and then they just get out of that, and they start, they want to make a lot of money to prove their worth. And then they make a lot of money, and it doesn't change anything, you know? Mm. They are holding on to capitalism, and but they are letting go of perhaps patriarchy, or whatever it is. Um, because if we don't heal, we, we are going to start hugging some system of oppression to give us 
this fix, you know, to give us a little fix of it's all fine, to give us a fix of safety that we're definitely not going to find anywhere. It's it's temporary, it's fake safety, it's counter, I forgot the word, uh, counterfeit, it's counterfeit safety. So we hold on to capitalism, we hold on to patriarchy, we hold on to how can I find my worth elsewhere so that I don't have to deal with the fact that deep down, I don't feel worth myself. Mm-hmm. I don't want to look in the mirror. It's just, it's just too painful. So instead of looking in the mirror, I'm going to go ahead and hold on to something out there, some, some something that will just give me enough safety to survive today. And that yeah. might serve you for a second, but you're not healing. Yeah. You're not being the best expression of the person that you were created to be. Mm. And that's the goal, you know, to be wholeness is the goal. To be everything you were created to be, to be able to expand and exist and be yourself um, without fear. Mm. Yeah, and as a white person, this is, you know, a white British person as well, because, you know, where did colonialism all start, you know, um, imperialism, that kind of thing, the British Empire, you know, um, there's a lot of responsibility on our shoulders. Um, for that um, and I certainly feel that responsibility in a healthy way not in a kind of you know yeah. shame and guilt kind of way but in a kind of yeah I probably have ancestors who were part of creating this system you know and so you yeah. have to acknowledge that and that's part of the work you know and um, you know I I do I talk to white people about this you know that we need to do the work that it's you know we have to unlearn a lot of things we have to and we have to learn a lot of things, and um, yeah, and it takes sacrifice, and it's a lifelong work, and it it is uncomfortable, but it's absolutely necessary, uh, and yeah, um, you know, and there's we have to make reparations and amends uh, for what our ancestors did, because um, that wasn't acceptable, you know, it was evil, and uh, so we've got to play our part in in. You know, in overturning it, in in changing things, because yeah, you know, we're responsible. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, you were going to say. Yeah, you really are. Uh, you really are um, either solving problems or creating them. You know, mm. like, because not doing anything is part of a problem. <laughs> mm. You know, it's it's creating a problem. So we have to actively seek. That's why people say not being racist is not enough. You have to be anti-racist. You have to be actively dismantling racism. You have to be actively dismantling systems of oppression. Otherwise, you're upholding them just because we're swimming in these waters. So in a, in a way, it's like this is a water, this is a river, but it doesn't move unless we swim in it. So if you're not moving, you're swimming in it. You're making a move. Mm. You know, We have to actively stop and say, no, we will not tolerate this anymore for ourselves. Not just for everybody else, but for ourselves, we do not tolerate this anymore. And it's difficult, hard work, because it requires such a high level of consciousness. You know, it requires for us to be awake at all times. It requires for us to just not let our subconscious take over, which has been the norm. It has been the way in which we've operated forever. So it requires for us to stop and say, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why am I feeling what I'm feeling? Why am I reacting the way I'm reacting? What's, what's going on? here, you know, I had to, I was actually applying for, um, to, to get my doctorate, 
and this was a few years ago, and I was applying to get my doctorate, and doing these, sitting down and being like, why do I want to get a doctorate? Mm. Made me realize that it had nothing to do with me. I didn't really want the doctorate, you know? I had something to prove still. Yeah. I wanted Because as a woman of color in the Christian theology world, I have to prove all the time that my voice is worth listening to. All the time. They, mm. they look at me and immediately they think she doesn't know what she's talking about. Just because I'm a woman and because I'm a woman of color, moreover. And I'm a, I'm a foreigner from Colombia. So it's like she has no idea. But this poor girl. Um, so I have to prove all the time that what I'm saying is, is worth listening to. And I thought, if I have a PhD, if I have my doctorate in divinity, they will be more prone to listening to me. And I realized that's the stupidest reason to get a doctorate. They still won't listen to me. And I don't want to get a doctorate for everybody else. If I mm. wanted to get it because I want to learn, because I want to, because this would be good for me, then that's fantastic. But it wouldn't be good for me. It would be a lot of work. And it would, and I, I already read a ton. Uh, and it would be also a lot of debt. Only to see if maybe some people might listen to me. What a stupid thing to do. What a waste of my time and my money. And mm -hmm. so I decided I'm not going to do it. The motivation behind it is everybody else. You know, it's, it's everybody else seeing my worth. If they can't see my worth, nothing will make them. Yeah. You know? I just keep speaking my truth. And for those who are served by it, uh, they'll come. It's fine. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely fine. So there. So I ask consciously all the time everything. Why do I want to buy that? Why do I want to go there? Um, what is what's going on? You know, and sometimes sometimes it's because I need to cope right now. I I, yeah. I went to Turkey for a month, and the reason behind my trip is because I needed to cope with pain. Yeah. But I was aware of that, you know? It was a conscious yeah. decision. Yeah. I want to cope. I don't. I need to cope. I need to get away from San Diego right now. I need to cope. And my way of coping right now is it's, I need to go to Turkey. Yeah. And the valid. But being conscious is the work. Becoming aware. Opening yeah. our eyes. Colonization. Decolonizing is that. Decolonizing is saying, open your eyes. Colonization is a colonization of the mind that says you don't have to think just kind of jumping to this river and mm. it'll take you. Don't worry about it. Mm. Yeah. It's so harmful. Yeah, and that's right. And it is a higher level of consciousness, like you say, because yes. you have to think about your intentions behind everything. You know, why am I doing this? Why do I want to do this? Like you say, you know, that... And so... And especially white people don't have to... have never had to think of that because because we because we benefit from the system. It helps you. So we don't have mm -hmm. to think about it. You know, uh, and we just have to start thinking about it. You know, we have to start. Like, yeah. why am I doing this? Why do I want this? You know, um, you know, what's my purpose in doing this? Like, you know, what's driving this? Um, you know, even even on little things like, I mean, seeing little things like social media, how we interact there. Like, how, why, mm -hmm. what are we, what are we communicating? Why are we, why are we communicating it? Why are we, you know, what's what's going on behind that? And that's. That takes a lot Everything. of a lot of work, you know, and uh, and a lot of effort. Yeah. But what you said is is exactly it's so insightful, and the reason why the more privilege you have, the harder it is that that you'll dismantle anything. 
That's why privileged people cannot lead liberation movements. Yeah. They can't. Because they aren't even aware of what has to be dismantled. Mm. Because for them, jumping in the water and letting it take you really does lead you to a good place. Yeah. But for the rest of us, it doesn't. So for them, it's like, well, I don't see the big deal. Jump in the water. It really does lead you to a good place. You, it leads you to a good place on the backs of the rest of us, at the expense of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. So that's what when, I, when, when, when people that are doing this work say, we cannot let the most privileged lead us, this is what we mean. It's because we can't, you know? Mm-hmm. You, you absolutely can't. Now, all of us hold privilege, and all of us don't hold privilege in some areas. So I still hold a lot of privileges. I, I hold, I mean, I speak two languages. Well, not really. I speak more than two languages, but really, really well, too. Um, I am an educated woman. I have higher education. I live in the U.S., I am a married, a married to a man, um, cisgender, I am able-bodied, really, you know. Um, all of these are privileges that I recognize. So uh, can I lead, you know, I'm a skinny, I'm, I'm, I've always been skinny. Um, can I lead the liberation for fat people? No, I don't even know what that looks like. I can't, I can't, I have to sit down. And we have to yeah. recognize those areas in which if you have privilege, Yes, the, the system works for you. Therefore, it's going to be really, really hard for you to know what it looks like to be outside of this system. And also, you're going to resist being outside of the system because you think that being outside of the system means that you are not going to be protected anymore. And that's not true. But that's what you're going to feel because the system protects you. Yeah. So it's so important to recognize our privileges and to recognize that there are many areas in which I will not be able to lead and for the most privileged, putting down that power is very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, because power's power's addictive. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and I was thinking about the metaphor we've talked about leaving church, you know, and leaving that system and then you see what it's like when you've left it or when you're trying to leave it. Like it feels like as I've been doing this work the last year or so that I've started to see the system that I was part of that as I'm trying to leave it as I'm trying to you know um, remove kind of detach myself from it I'm seeing exactly what it is Uh, and yeah it's not um, it's not it's not as pretty as 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 people as white people would like to think it is Um, no and it's it's hurting us all really Mm. Um, because you cannot uphold a system that dehumanizes others without mm. dehumanizing them in your brain. And the moment you start dehumanizing another, you lose your own humanity too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about all this. It's, it's really, really important. Um, and, you know, uh, we have to do the work. We have to do the yes, work. Yes, we do. And you know uh, what? The work is done together. Yeah. The work is done together. We need one another. We, for the reasons I said, we all hold privilege in some areas and we all don't. And we need one another. We, um, The work is not done individually. We, we do this work together. We help one another. So mm. thank you for inviting me and having this conversation because we grow together as we have these conversations yeah. that lead into the discomfort of having to speak about this. Yeah, and I feel like I've learned something even from this conversation. So that's fantastic. And 
Um, I would recommend to everybody to support Joe on on Patreon. Um, I'm I, I'm one of your patrons as well. Um, Joe creates some really great material there on 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 some of the things that we've talked about today. Um, and you know, so I really would encourage you to support her if you can because she's doing some really good stuff. So um, thank you for your work as well um, and what you're doing because it's it is really really important work. So much thank you i really appreciate it i on my patreon i share some i share monthly writing prompts which is that work of sitting down and asking um why am i doing what i'm doing now mm. so it's part of the healing that we all have to do together so thank you so much yeah for supporting I, my work oh absolutely no i've been i've been trying to to support more more kind of uh uh black people of black or people of color um, as part of the education that's what we have to do um, um, we have to learn um, we have to support people who are doing that work you know it's important because you put a lot of labour into that work um, you know physical emotional time you know and so it's important that if we can we support that financially um, so yeah uh, and you can find Joe on Twitter and social media as well um, I think it's is it Joe Lumen on Twitter yeah, it's my it's my name on Twitter and Instagram, just Joe Lumen, and the spelling of Lumen is weird. Some people it's better to just look it up, but it's L U E H M A N N. Okay. We talked about how my I told you my husband gave me a weird German last name, so. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you on the show. I'd love to have you back sometime as well. It'd be really great to talk about this a lot more. So, um, yeah, thank you for coming on, and thank you for listening, everybody.